It's the More Than Medicine Podcast with Dr. Chung. Hello and welcome to episode number 12 of the More Than Medicine Podcast. Today's episode is on the topic of alcohol, one of the most commonly used drugs around the world. I'm going to be speaking about both the benefits as well as the negatives of alcohol and how to have it as part of your life rather than something that controls your life. But before we go into the episode, just a quick reminder that all of the information within this podcast is provided purely for educational purposes. Any information that you take should be brought to your usual doctor to see if it's relevant to your own circumstances. Also, before we go on to today's topic, I'd like to review the four parts of the NMMM model. The first letter, N, stands for nutrition. And nutrition are the food and drink that you have every day, but more importantly, the habits and the psychology behind that. And today we'll be covering a particular type of drink, alcoholic beverages. The first M stands for movement, Movement means regular and consistent movement or exercise. And the key with this is making it something that is enjoyable. It doesn't matter if you do something only a little bit, as long as you enjoy it and you can do it regularly. The second M stands for mindset. Mindset stands for the way that you approach the world and how you view different situations. And the final M stands for motivation. And in motivation, we look at both the micro or short term, as well as the macro or longer term, bigger picture motivations behind why we do certain things. So to give an outline on today's podcast, I'm going to be covering a few different topics. First of all, we'll go through a little bit about how alcohol actually works and its effects on the body and the mind. Secondly, I'm going to explore why people drink and in particular, the habits that are formed around this particular beverage. Thirdly, we're going to talk a bit about when alcohol becomes a problem and how you can identify this before it becomes an even bigger problem. And finally, We're going to look at some strategies on how to take back control if alcohol has started to take a bigger role in your life than you would like. So let's begin with a very simple chemistry lesson to find out how alcohol actually works on our brains to make us feel the way that it does. The first part of alcohol's effect is on a system within the brain called the GABA system, G-A-B-A. This is the system that helps us to calm down. And when one drinks alcohol, it tends to give this system a bit of a boost. This allows people to feel less anxious, perhaps a little bit looser, and obviously it has very good benefits in socializing, as many people might have imagined. Along with this, it also tends to release some of the body's own endorphins. And endorphins are a bit like morphine. 
It's the body's own ability to create that sensation. And in some people, this is particularly strong. This is why there is often a bit of a family history of alcohol issues in certain families. So at a certain level, alcohol is doing really a good job. It's helping to calm people down, make them a bit more relaxed and giving them a bit of a buzz through the natural endorphin system. However, as people start to drink more, it also starts to shut down a separate system called the glutamate system. Now think of the glutamate system like the electricity system throughout your body. It makes everything work. The muscles, the thoughts, memories. And as the amount of alcohol starts to build up, we start to notice that people slur their voice. They have difficulty walking in a straight line and their decision-making starts to become a bit more questionable. And as the level of alcohol within the body increases even more, this can lead to even more severe effects from the blockage of glutamate. For example, loss of memory, or even worse, blacking out completely and loss of consciousness. And at its most extreme level, someone can actually have full blockage of their ability to breathe. And if you don't breathe, you don't live. Now, another interesting feature about alcohol is the way that it changes its effect on your body the more you have it. So if you drink alcohol for the first time, it doesn't take very much for it to have its effects on you. However, the more you drink alcohol, particularly if it's done on a daily basis, the more we develop a thing called tolerance. And what this means is that the receptors that the alcohol usually affects become less sensitive to its alcoholic effects. But along with that, it also becomes less sensitive to the GABA, the thing that naturally helps you feel more calm. This is very important in the long term because you then become more anxious at a baseline level, even when there's no alcohol in your system. And this can become a very vicious cycle when a person starts to drink alcohol to make up for this tolerance to their normal GABA that they create. So moving on to the reasons why people drink alcohol. Alcohol in itself is actually not a particularly tasty drink. Uh, if you were to drink some pure alcohol, you'd find it burns and gives you a really unpleasant sensation. However, we've managed to convince ourselves that alcohol is a very positive thing. And this is based through certain situations that we associate with alcohol. So in particular, alcohol is very much associated with relaxation and with socialization. The first step is that it tends to relax us. And that's because of the GABA um, receptor that we spoke about earlier. However, the other thing that it really helps with is with socialization, in particular social anxiety. Uh, there's a reason why alcohol is sold at bars and clubs, and it's not because of the flavor. The disinhibition from alcohol tends to be of great benefit in a lot of situations. However, the third reason for drinking alcohol is the one that can become quite a big problem, and that's when it becomes a form of self-medication or self-medicating. 
So unfortunately, I often see many of my patients using alcohol as a way of medicating their own anxiety or depression or other more serious mental health conditions. Sadly, this is a bottomless pit. As we discussed, the more you drink, the less sensitive your brain gets to the effects of alcohol and the less sensitive it becomes to your natural ability to calm yourself down. Furthermore, you tend to get an increase in the amount of glutamate in your system, the thing that tends to fire up your nervous system. The end result of this is prolonged periods of anxiety. And the only thing that seems to improve it is more alcohol. So you may be wondering, how do you know if alcohol is starting to become a problem in your life? Well, we'll start off with the Australian guidelines to safe drinking. And in particular, the Cancer Council guidelines, which are a lot simpler, I think, to understand. We generally recommend that, that people drink 10 or less standard drinks per week and no more than four standard drinks in one sitting. Now, standard drink contains 10 grams of pure alcohol. So, for example, that would be one can of mid-strength beer. In fact, a can of full-strength beer contains usually somewhere between 1.4 to even 1.5 standard drinks. So they can add up quite quickly. However, I tend to ask my patients three specific questions that tend to be quite a sensitive way of figuring out whether alcohol is an issue in their life. The first is whether they ever drink in the morning to help stave off some of the anxiety from the night before. This is particularly relevant if they need to drink before they go to work to get them through the workday. The second question is whether someone has ever made a comment about their drinking. If someone has gone to this extent, it generally means that they have taken things to a certain extreme and they probably need to reflect on the levels of drinking that they're doing. The final question relates to whether they've realized that they are drinking no longer for enjoyment, but to avoid the feeling of not being drunk. This can take quite a bit of self-understanding to get to, but once a person realizes this, they can start to take steps in the right direction, which leads us to the final part of this podcast of how to take back control with regards to alcohol. Alcohol is a particularly difficult habit to kick because it is very instilled within our culture. A big part of socializing and even the idea of a hard-earned thirst deserves a cold hard beer uh, is a real factor in how it plays within our psyche. However, I'm going to offer a few pieces of advice that I think are quite helpful in taking back control of alcohol's role in your life. So first of all, it can be quite helpful to take note of just how much you drink every day. And by that, I mean something as simple as even having a notepad or writing it down on your phone at the end of the night or the next morning so that you know how much you're actually drinking. And if you can, actually calculating how many standard drinks you've had each night. This can be quite eye-opening for a lot of people. And I've had patients who've been quite surprised when they realize that they're drinking somewhere between 12 to even 14 standard drinks each night. 
So once you know how much you're drinking, you can then start to work on cutting that down. And it is probably more helpful to cut it down gradually rather than going cold turkey, unless you're that kind of person. It is good to have at least two days that are alcohol-free per week. This gives your body, and in particular, your poor liver, a chance to recover from the onslaught of the alcohol that it's had from the night before. So it's a good rule of thumb to have maybe Monday and Tuesday as nights where you don't drink. Now, the next thing that's really important in changing any habit is figuring out what triggers tend to set you off to have a drink. So, for example, one of my patients found that at the end of a workday, particularly if it was a hot day, he would have a real feeling to have a cold glass of uh, white wine. And what was helpful was now that he recognized this, he knew that particularly on those warmer days, he'd make an effort not to have that drink in his fridge or in his house at all. That made it more difficult for him to follow through with that trigger. Every person's got different triggers, and this can be a helpful part of taking note of how much you drink to figure out what triggers are causing the person to drink more. The other thing that's really useful, particularly because alcohol is such a social event, is to plan some responses to people when they offer you a drink. This will be helpful to prevent you from falling off the wagon, particularly if you're really making a concerted effort to stop drinking. A good example could be something like, oh, I've got to drive home tonight and you know, can't have more than one drink. Or I'm on a health kick at the moment and I've decided to cut out alcohol for the rest of the month. And that month can go on to the next month and the month after, uh, depending on how good you're feeling about things. Finally, we can actually use the more than medicine model to healthy living to help us to reduce our need for alcohol because most people drink alcohol because of the way it makes them feel, which is that it helps them to feel more relaxed and have a general sense of well-being. So we need to work on other ways of managing anxiety and stress beyond alcohol. And that could include things like improving your nutrition. Eating better, cutting down caffeine can definitely improve that. Doing some regular exercise every day. Working on how you think about your problems, either on your own or with the help of a psychologist or counsellor. And finally, picturing the motivations for why you want to cut down or cut out alcohol in your life. And in particular, motivations beyond yourself. So your family, your career, and obviously your own health. Finally, there are a lot of resources out there to help people to get better with their management of alcohol. In particular, we can use technology to give us more support and a better understanding of how we behave. There's a really good website called Hello Sunday Morning, which actually has its own app called Daybreak. And... It provides a community for people to actually talk about their experiences regarding alcohol. And you can speak with people anonymously and get advice as well as share your own struggles or success uh, and get support in that way. There's another app called I Am Sober, which is a handy tracker of how many days someone has stayed sober and also provides 
interesting information such as how much money you might have saved, as well as the calories that you've avoided from not drinking. Now, I'd like to finish this podcast with a very short exercise to help anyone who's struggling with cravings for alcohol. The concept of a craving is important to actually recognize. It really comes up as a wave of desire for something. And in this case, we'll consider it to be alcohol. Now, the important thing about a wave is that it builds and builds until it reaches its crest, at which point it will gradually fade away. And the first step is understanding that this is something that's building up within someone. And it's usually a feeling within the person's body as well as thoughts. And the way to go with this wave of craving is to essentially ride the wave all the way to the top and then all the way as it comes down. And initially, you may succumb to the craving and go and grab a drink. However, as you practice it more often, you'll be able to ride the wave for longer. And eventually, you'll find that you can ride the wave all the way without acting on it. And the more you do this, the more the wave loses its power. And it becomes less and less until gradually, it's something that you don't even remember happening. So if you're in a situation where you've got that craving to grab a drink, see if you can sit for a few moments and just follow the instructions that I provide. So just start off by having your hands on your lap and your feet flat on the floor and your back fairly straight if possible. And just notice the contact of your feet on the floor and your hands on your lap. And just notice how the sensations between the feet, the floor, the hands and your lap feel. And then move your attention up towards your jaw. Just notice if you're holding any attention in your jaw. It's very common for people to do this. And see if you can just loosen your jaw down and forwards, maybe half a centimeter. And just let your mouth gently hang open a little bit. And inside your mouth, there's a muscle called the tongue. And see if you can let your tongue rest at the base of your mouth as your jaw starts to hang forwards. Really good. And now you'll notice that there is a feeling within your body, a craving for alcohol. And if you can try to locate where that feeling is. Some common areas can be within the throat, within the chest, the upper abdomen, the lower abdomen or in the lower back. Usually with this sense of craving, there's a feeling of tension sometimes of rising. And the feeling can be quite unpleasant sometimes. Hence the need to get some alcohol 
to quell this craving. So I don't want you to go straight into middle of this feeling. If you can imagine this area of craving like a snow globe, so the glass encasing the center of the craving, and I just want you to notice the outside area of that craving. And see if you can start to just soften the edges of that craving. And all the while paying attention to how your jaw feels loosening, the contact of your feet against the floor, your hands against your legs, letting your shoulders drop away from your ears. Can you just let that edge of that snow globe of craving just dissolve and soften and become heavy? Notice if it is getting stronger, it's the same, or if it's subsiding. Remember, everyone has a different location for where they tend to feel craving within their body. And then see if you can start to take some breaths into that area of craving. Trying to soften the muscles around that area. With each out breath, letting everything loosen and soften. And if you get lost, just go back to your feet against the floor, your hands against your lap, your jaw loosening, dropping just down and forwards half a centimeter or so, your tongue soft. Okay. And just notice how that feels right now and whether it feels different compared to before you started the exercise. I know that you can rewind to this at any point and know that the craving itself is not dangerous or harmful. It just needs to be respected and it's a wave that you can ride all the way up and all the way down. So I hope you found this podcast helpful. And as always, if you have particular issues, please get in touch with your regular GP. And thank you for joining me on the More Than Medicine podcast. And I will speak to you next time. Take care. It's the More Than Medicine podcast with Dr. Chuck.